Welcome back to the Roar Podcast. My name is Terrell, and today we have a guest host on with us, Miss Ali Kroor, who's been on the show before. Welcome. Hi, guys. It's exciting to be back again. And today we are also joined by Dr. Gentry Sutton. He is our VP of Academic Affairs Excuse me, and has been here for about two years. Awesome. So we're going to go ahead and get into some classic banter. Um, I think today we're going to talk about apps, right? Some of the ridiculous stuff that we have on our phone. And I think Allie wants to go first on this. Well, right before we started recording, we were all sitting here in the studio talking about random apps that nobody really has any business having on their phone, but everybody's got them, right? So Mm -hmm. right away, I said, I have this app called Sleep Cycle because I never think I'm getting enough sleep. And I really want to know. Also, when uh, I was growing up, I used to sleepwalk and sleep talk constantly. And I started thinking, you know, like I, I live by myself. There's nobody to tell me if I'm doing this. And so I want to track it. And so um, basically all that I've learned is that I snore a lot. So my weird thing that I have on my phone is like just hours of myself snoring. <laughs> so that is that is like probably my most random thing I have on my phone. That's a good uh, one. Terrell, what do you um, got? I have a secret an app that is on my phone that only gets used once a year and uh it's kind of funny the um the picture for the app is a um a santa going so it's absolutely (laughs) stupid and you know how um you organize your apps i have it on my very first page page. as if you were as if you used it every day Uh Uh uh-huh just sits there Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, Doctor Sutton has one that I think is hilarious. Well, you know, I belong to a to a really silly family, so I have a cat sounds app on my phone because we we we've had a couple of cats. We we're down to one cat, but uh, I, I hope nobody from Peta's listening is going to call me on this. But we, we like to play the cat sounds app to irritate our cat at home. You win. She, she, Yours is the coolest. She she talks back to us. I also have car horns and air horns on my phone because. I have a coworker, Dr. Torshonda Howard, who I really like honking my horn at in the parking lot, and I get her every time, every single time. And it doesn't. She could get to work at four o'clock in the morning and not get me. She just she can't do it. She tries to get me, and I'm like, yeah, I knew that was coming. And and so I get her in the parking lot, and then an hour later, I'll come around and stick my phone in her doorway and and blow the air horn, and I'll get her again. So that's that's pretty fun. Awesome. So you're probably her favorite coworker. Yes, I think. Yeah, so. absolutely favorite. So let's start to get into the topic uh, for today. So, Dr. Sutton, can you just um, talk about your story and, you know, how you ended up at Warner? Sure. Well, I grew up in Oklahoma. I went to a Christian liberal arts college a lot like Warner in Kansas, uh, Sterling College. I've been in higher education for 20, 21 years and spent most of that in Christian higher education. I worked at my alma mater at Sterling College for nine years. Most recently, I was at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Uh, I was a dean of arts and science and uh, and then became the vice president of academic affairs and the provost there. And uh, it's a great place. Uh, felt like we got a lot done and there was leadership change that kind of just caused me to look around a little bit and I have committed myself to not working at any Christian institution that doesn't have a very strong statement on scripture. Mm, that's great. Um, so I saw that 
the position advertisement for Warner's job. Um, my wife and I had done a short stint in Pennsylvania. I worked. We lived in Pennsylvania, and I worked in New Jersey for four and a half years. Other than that, we had never really been to the East Coast or certainly the Southeast. So we said, hmm, Florida. Well, this would be just like God to take us to Florida because yeah. <laughs> we know nothing about Florida, really. And I've just had a wonderful time. It's been a, a big blessing to be here. I love the students, love my colleagues, love working with you all in admissions. And it's just, I'm, I'm having a ball. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you here. That's that's a cool story. Who wouldn't want to come to Florida, though, from Pennsylvania, right? Well, I we mean, were in Oklahoma at the time. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, strange. I used to live in Oklahoma. I went to college in Oklahoma. Really? Where'd so, you go? Uh, I lived um, in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I was at Rama Bible College, okay. uh, right outside of Tulsa, and I was cold all the time. Sure. I was cold all the time, yeah. except for like two months in the summer when the temperature hovers around 105 degrees and you can't breathe when you go outside. Yes. Yeah. So, that, so that's the thing. That's what people don't understand is that the hot months are actually a lot harder, hotter mm-hmm. back in Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah. Scorching. It's like mm-hmm. the desert. Out. Even in Kansas. I mean, you can have 30 days in a row, 100 degree heat. Yeah. You know, I used to li- I used to live in uh, PA. Excuse me. And, you know, that that summer heat, it's different. Florida heat and uh, Florida heat and Pennsylvania heat are different. And it's different when you're up there and you're outside all day and your parents don't want you to come in because you're letting off the good. Air. <laughs> <laughs> so, Allie, I worked with Rama some. That's interesting to know about you. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. Yep. That's that's my alma mater for sure. Well, um, that kind of sets us up, you know, talking about um, Christian higher education, the importance of Christian higher education. Obviously, you have a ton of experience in that area, but how would you say Christian higher education sets students up for success later on in life? I think I would give three responses to that, if you'll indulge me three. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, I think I think Christian higher education helps students see how everything, how all of life is integrated. Mm-hmm. And certainly, non-Christian liberal arts colleges can demonstrate how different disciplines are integrated. But we take it a step further, don't we? And, and we, we kind of get at the eternal consequences of things. Right. And, and we show how there's spiritual implications of certain disciplines, uh, really of all disciplines. All truth is God's truth, right? Right. So I think that makes people even more well-rounded. And, and the more well-rounded we are, just the better we can navigate life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes us marketable in the workplace. Just helps us be higher-functioning people. I think um, I think the second response I'll give to that, and you all have heard this uh, spiel before, but I think I'll repeat it here. The most influential people in our culture have college degrees. Right. Because the careers, the jobs that kind of uh, have the most influence in our culture require college degrees. Mm-hmm. And so... If you look at some of the moral chaos that's going on in our culture, it kind of makes you think that maybe there's a breakdown in higher education. Maybe. So <laughs> so we're graduating all these people who are supposedly edu- educated, and yet our problems keep getting worse and worse. Why is that? And I think it's because, for the most part in America, we're not grounding our education in biblical truth anymore. Mm -hmm. And so there's only a very small percentage of our cultural and societal leaders who have that biblical grounding. And we know 
that biblical truth offers solutions right. to problems, which I think would get me to my third answer is that a Christian higher education can set people up to have the meaningful answers that people are looking for, that our world is looking for. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I give the example of, you know, a lot of education can give some good answers that go about halfway. For example, anywhere you go, you're going to be taught that all people have value, all people should be treated with respect, we should love everyone, and those things are certainly biblical. Mm-hmm. I think the issue is what Christian education teaches you is the why. Right. And if you're not looking at that question, why should we love everyone? Why should we respect everyone the same? If you're not looking at that question from a biblical perspective, then you're going to answer it with human reason. And here's the problem with that. Human reason changes. Mm -hmm. So as much as I hate to say it, if racism, for example, is viewed as a horrible thing today, it's good that it is. If we don't ground the reasoning for that in biblical truth, then it can change. Right. And racism may be acceptable 250 years from now in any given society. In fact, it it is in some societies, right? So the Christian worldview says people should be treated with dignity and value and love because they are created by a loving God who has placed the stamp of his image on them. Right, exactly. And that does not change Mm -hmm. ever. So I think we have meaningful and lasting answers to some big cultural problems. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 100%. um, Going into that and um, seeing what you've seen, uh, what you just talked about, um, how have you seen those things grow while you've been here at Warner? Sure. So in, just in the two years, it's kind of interesting because in, if you ask me that question at another time, I might say, well, I've only been here two years. Yeah. There's <laughs> been a lot happen in our world in the last two years. Yeah. Yeah. It's been and busy. <laughs> absolutely. And I think what we've seen in Christian higher education, and, and we've done it well here at Warner, And Christian higher education hasn't always done it well, Mm -hmm. but is a willingness to engage some very, very difficult cultural issues in the classroom, in our chapels, um, in our academic convocations. And I think Christian higher education has really kind of grown with the times, especially in the last two years. So uh, Christian education has grown in some other ways, too. I think, obviously, technology, especially in the last two years. You know, one of the things that's been really, really neat uh, that I've seen as a vice president of academics is watching some of our, and I'm going to stereotype a little bit here, but, but I think everybody will understand what I'm talking about. Watching some of our older faculty members really embrace technology, right? right. Our older faculty members have, have the reputation, right, of uh, they want to do the, the things the way they've always done it, and they're resistant to change. Our older faculty members have dove into the technology, and it's been so cool to see. And I've had a couple of them tell me, 
it, it's it's changed their pedagogy for good. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to continue to do things differently because of the technology that they've been forced to, to use in the last couple of years, the last 18 months in particular. So that's been really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And, and I think another thing that we've seen change in Christian higher education in the last few years is our willingness to embrace some kind of non-historical academic disciplines, more professional disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're big on the liberal arts tradition, and, and we want to keep that, right? We, we believe in the, in the classical disciplines, and, and we teach those things, and we believe those make you a better person. But the Christian liberal arts institutions historically have kind of shied away from more of the professional disciplines, mm-hmm. right, and more of the applied science disciplines. As you all know, we have robust agricultural studies and criminal justice programs. Right. And I think a lot of Christian institutions are being more willing to look at things like construction management, you know, those types of degrees, more professional programs. And you can do that without losing your liberal arts emphasis. You can incorporate it. But if we want to have influence in the culture, we need to be offering those types of programs and and sending people out in those disciplines as well. So I think that's been a positive change too. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I, uh, I was asked recently the question, um, someone asked me personally, like what made you want to get involved in Christian higher education? Why do you think Christian higher education is important enough that you would get involved in it? And I said, Oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> why wouldn't I? But you know, I, I said, for example, you know, I mean, we have a phenomenal, you just mentioned a criminal justice program here at Warner. My goodness, how clearly have we seen in the last year, how much we we need men and women of God in the criminal justice field exactly. in the United States. We have um, we have a biology program um, that has a couple of medical tracks in it. A lot of students come that are interested in medical biology. When I go in for a procedure, if I'm going to go under the knife, I want to know that the person who's going to be cutting on me had a conversation with God that morning. Absolutely. That, you know, and so... And our science faculty, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Our science faculty are so committed to the Lord. And, and we have something really cool at Warner for a small institution. We have we have an actual medical doctor on right. our biology faculty. Right. That's so rare and so awesome. So we got such a well-rounded science department. Mm-hmm. But anyway, continue with your point, Allie. I just, I, I had to throw that in there. Oh, no, absolutely. But I mean, that was it. Just the, the importance of, like you said, um, Christian higher education, because we can, we can impact the culture with so many different degrees, so many different students being able to go into so many different fields and um, make a difference for for Christ. But um, I liked what you said earlier. You were talking about how um, even in um, like among our student life, when we gather with students, when we have chapel services and things like that, we are at Warner not afraid to engage in difficult like cultural conversations. We don't shy away from those things. We don't sweep those things under the rug. That's something that I've seen as a staff member that has been encouraging to me is um, the staff and the faculty are very much, you know, the culture is, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's, how do you feel? What do you think? Um, And I really believe that that makes us relevant and that makes us um, interesting to younger students who are looking at Warner, who are interested in coming to Warner, which kind of brings me to my next question. Um, What do you think Christian high school students should be looking for in their future college? So coincidentally, 
I am working on a worldview text for high school, Christian high school students. That's awesome. And one of my chapters is what you should look for in a Christian college. <laughs> and so you're so, the person to ask this question yeah. to. So I've got, I've got probably, I don't know, 25 or 30 points here. I, let me read about 10 of them, okay. if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, and again, there are more. Does the institution require its students to attend chapel or at least earn spiritual formation credits in some other way? There are some Christian colleges in the country that offer chapel that don't require it. And I know students don't like doing things that are required, but an institution that requires it, you know something about uh, spiritual life priority on that campus if it's required. So if you're serious about choosing a Christian college, that's one of the things you need to look for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do chapel speakers communicate more than just the social gospel or social justice concerns? That is, do they communicate the gospel, the reality of sin, the importance of sound theology, and the importance of a Christian worldview? So Mm -hmm. social gospel, social justice, obviously important, but we can't take our focus off the gospel and sound theology because those things drive the social concerns. Mm -hmm. And we have to get those things right in order to get social justice right. Right. And so I think those those are important things to look for. Do a significant number of faculty and staff members attend chapel services? Mm -hmm. Do the president and other institutional leaders attend chapel? And I think if you go to Warner's Chapel, you'll see the leadership and a lot of our faculty and staff Mm -hmm. at chapel services. Does the general education curriculum require a significant number of Bible credits? That's some. Of the, that's one of the things you want to look for. Um, I'll skip that one. Does the institution have a published, easily accessible statement of faith that reflects orthodox evangelical Christian theology? So, as I said earlier, one of the things that attracted me to Warner, I, if I'm applying for jobs, I'm looking at an institution statement of faith. Mm-hmm. And ours is on our website. Right. And we have it memorized in admissions. <laughs> absolutely. Yep. And you know who we are. Right. Yeah. But now some people aren't going to like who we are. Mm-hmm. But we are standing on the word of God and our statement of faith makes that clear. And and kind of along with that, does the statement of faith contain a statement about the Bible being infallible, inerrant, or authoritative for life? So if I was giving advice to a student, I would say look for one of those words, infallibility, inerrancy, or some sort of statement that says we recognize that the Bible is authoritative for all of life. Um, Some Christian colleges have shied away from that Mm -hmm. in the last 20 years and have intentionally not included those words. We include those words. I think we include all three. Um, Does the statement of faith contain a clear statement about Jesus being the way and the only way? To salvation. I think that's important. And I have three more. Are employees, at least faculty members, required to sign the institution's statement of faith? And we are here at Warner University. Are both employees and students required to sign a community expectations or community behavior document that communicates clear lifestyle expectations, but at the same time steers clear of harmful legalism? Harmful legalism. Yeah. So I think I think we do that extremely well at Warner University. So, as you know, you don't have to be a Christian to come to Warner University, mm-hmm. but we do want to honor our Lord and Savior with our behavior, mm-hmm. and 
we believe that there are certain behavioral guidelines that just fo- are help foster community and help foster peace, peaceful relationships. And so I think that's an important thing for um, a Christian college. And then the last one I would say is there systematic and intentional integration of faith and learning in the classroom. That is, are faculty required to help students understand how a Christian worldview should inform the proper handling of various disciplinary issues? So one of the one of the ways a student can find that out on a visit is talk to a faculty member and ask that question. Mm-hmm. How do you integrate faith in your classroom? And I would challenge any prospective student at Warner University to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had some phenomenal conversations with faculty members where um, without even asking, they volunteer that information. And usually, I mean, with all of the faculty members that I have interacted with um, personally and one-on-one, within five to ten minutes of speaking to them, they've already told me how they integrate faith in their classroom based on the way that they present themselves sure. and present their, present their process. And that's encouraging to me as an admissions counselor because I'm confident that the students that I I'm bringing in are coming to an incredible place where I know they're going to be challenged. I know they're going to learn. I know they're going to grow and I know they're going to be cared about as well. Definitely. And I think as a a previous student, just for students um, listening, some awesome encouragement on another point on that is that our professors are super passionate about um, what they do and how they integrate Christ into the classroom. Um, If I were to give any points as an example, um, Taking kinesiology with T. Hall, right? Um, we would get into movement and um, the fascia, and <laughs> if anybody can go on rants with T. Hall, um, but we would just go into how the body moves and how it's integrated, and how it's just another testament to how wonderful, beautiful, magical. Um, well, I don't know if magical is the right word, but just another testament to how um, God created us and how he continues to be with us right now. And, and, um, and coincidentally, there's there's an example of another professor with this amazing uh, ex- like practitioner experience outside of academe. The, mm-hmm. he, uh, Trevor Hall is assistant professor of exercise science, and the guy was a strength and conditioning coach in Major League Baseball, for crying out loud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're so lucky to have him. Mm-hmm. So. So another another great example. So talking about incoming students, um, what are some strategies that you would encourage students to uh, put into practice now in order to be successful in college? That's a that's a great question. And you all have heard me um, talk to students about that. And I I often give seven or eight pieces of advice. Let me give three or four right here. First of all, this is going to sound so simple. Really, they all—they're all simple. Read and write. Yeah. And, and, and let me unpack those two things. Really, um, reading is so important, not just to get the information that you need for a test or class or whatever, but there's a cyclical thing that happens in your learning when you do your reading assignments, and and it's this: you do your reading assignments. When you come to class, you're more prepared to participate and engage in conversation. And first of all, that impresses your professor, so that's kind of an important thing. But then what happens is that when you are able to participate in dialogue and kind of interact with your professor and your classmates, 
you kind of start to get other ideas because that dialogue helps you think more broadly about whatever it is you're studying. So it broadens your perspective even more than just the content in the reading. So, so there's this cool cyclical thing that happens, which, which leads me to the next point about writing. Um, I did my doctoral dissertation research in the link between what I call argumentative writing and critical thinking and specifically critical thinking that gives helps us give us confidence to talk about our faith because a lot of times the reason we don't talk about our faith is that we're afraid of the objections that people might throw at us right and here's what i found out and i knew this going in which is why i did the project in my research when you write quote argumentatively and i'll unpack that here in just a second you are forced to think at a level that increases your confidence about that thing. So argumentative writing is not as intimidating as it sounds. It's just writing... Uh, with support for an argument, right? Right. Uh, uh, argument. I'm not using the word argument pejoratively here. Argument is a positive thing in academics. It just means you make a point and back it up. Yeah. And in argumentative writing, what you have to do is you make your point, you back it up, but you also have to back up the assumptions that your evidence is based on. You have to anticipate objections and then show why those objections maybe are not valid to to what you're saying so you have to do all of this thinking so i would challenge even high school students even if you're not required if your teachers aren't requiring you to write about a difficult subject say so do some writing on your own about that subject and and do some writing in a way that forces you to defend a position and you'll be amazed at how much your confidence grows about that thing, whatever it is you're writing about. So read and write, read and write. Sounds very basic, but that's it. And then a couple more things I would say is, and, and this kind of goes along with the classroom discussion, mm-hmm. is listen well, especially in class. Listen with the intent of getting ideas for papers. You're going to be required to write a lot of papers. And as I think about my, especially in graduate school, but but also at the undergraduate level, probably 85% of the papers I wrote were facilitated by a classroom discussion, Mm -hmm. by me saying something and engaging with another student, and a student would either agree with me or disagree, and then I would write a paper about why I thought the student was wrong or why, you know, maybe a student agreed with me but thought of a point that I hadn't made to kind of further my argument. Mm -hmm. And so I say listen with the intent of getting ideas because here's what happens if even if you're one of those students who really enjoys participating in class, sometimes what we do is we sit there in class discussion and we're chomping at the bit to make our point and to participate with our thoughts. And we're so focused on what we're going to say that we're really not listening to what somebody else is saying. Right. We're, we're just waiting for their words to stop. Right. That, that's the only thing we notice. But if you will listen with the intent of getting ideas for your essays and your big research papers, mm-hmm. uh, that can be really valuable too. The, the, the other couple of things I would say, and these are also very simple, be punctual. Mm-hmm. Get in the habit of being punctual with not only going to class, but your assignments, anything your professors expect of you. 
and communicate. Communicate, communicate, communicate with your professors. They're not big, scary people, especially at Warner University. Right. They want relationships with their students. Mm-hmm. Stay and talk to them after class. Go see them during the office during the office hours. Show them you're interested in, in the subject that you're studying. And they will want to help you grow. But the other thing with communication is if you do let's say you have an emergency and you can't get an assignment in on time. You just, it was a big emergency and you can't do it. If you will communicate ahead of time with Warner university professors and say, Hey, I, can I have another day or two on this? Maybe you're really close. And, and if, and if you are, that's a good thing to say, I'm three quarters of the way done with it. Can I have just a slight extension? Your professors will appreciate that a lot more than you just letting a week go by without talking to them and not doing anything and then saying, hey, can I still turn this in? (laughs) So just communicating with your professors about what's going on in your life will go a long ways. Right. Absolutely. Very good. Yeah. And that is something that um, I've noticed as well that our faculty love to speak to their students. Absolutely. But to our faculty are so proactive with our students, which is something that I love as well. You know, I've watched them at times before in the hallway call a student aside and be like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? I don't know that you would really see that in any other college that mm-hmm. that I can think of where faculty would be actively pursuing relationship with their students. Right. Yes. That's, um, that's incredible. We, we have faculty who meet with students uh, habitually mm-hmm. at IHOP or Denny's or, you know, or Wendy's or somewhere downtown uh, on Saturdays, on Sunday nights. It's just, it's just amazing how much our professors go above and beyond. It is. Dr. Sutton, thank you so much for joining us. Um, so we have one final thing. Um, it's closing down. We do this for every show, right? And Allie knows <laughs> she has previously done this, right? I'm a little scared. Have I? Does it count? What I did before, does it count? So um, have you seen Shrek 3? I have. It's been a while. So you know the scene where he's at the um, at the help throw the birthday party and there's a little kid with a bob and he says, do the roar. You got to. Do, Do the, the work. <laughs> well, um, I'll start, if I may. Uh, the last time that I was on the podcast, my family openly made fun of me um, <laughs> for days about the pitiful meow that I did uh, when I had to do a roar. I just couldn't think. I just couldn't do it. But um, Dr. Sutton's uh, cat sounds <laughs> uh, app inspired me. Yeah. And so I found this on YouTube. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. So that's my roar, the MGM lion roar. <laughs> See, I'm not going to cheat like Allie did. That, I'm, guys. I'm, I'm actually going to do it with my own voice. Oh, wow. <laughs> you heard it right here, folks. Dr. Sutton can, in fact, roar. <laughs> I sound like a Wookiee. <laughs> All right, y'all. Oh, hold on. Hold, oh, no, no. Oh, you you okay. did not roar, Terrell. Oh, true. Um, okay. All right. Yes. Jeez. Hold on. Hold on. You're oh, not getting out like that. Goodness. I feel like I should back up. <laughs> okay. Oh. You reap what you sow, friend. All right. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's better than the meow that yeah. I did the first time. So, all right. Thanks for joining us on The Roar. You can find us anywhere that you can stream podcasts. 
Thanks for joining us. 